Hi, this is Terrell Somerville, the lead pastor of Freedom Church. Welcome to our podcast. We hope you enjoy the message today and that you'd also take time to get plugged in to your local church. We believe you can't do life alone, so we learn to do life together. I also want to thank our givers who make this podcast possible. If you are blessed by this ministry, please consider subscribing, giving, and sharing this with your friends and family. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Freedom Church. It's so good to see you here. Happy holiday. Happy Labor Day weekend. I hope you all have been out and getting some rest and getting some enjoyable time with your family. And we're looking forward to uh, today, the very, very, very last week of our authority series. Listen, uh, just before we get there, last week, I'm telling you, you saw the video, but those, the baptism was top shelf. I mean, it was beyond anything we thought could be imagined. The weather was perfect. It was beautiful. We had 400 people or so there. And uh, those baptisms and the joy of the Lord, the worship we had experienced. I know most of you were there. And uh, man, what a great, great day. That's a win. Big win for the gospel. Big win for uh, Freedom Church. So yeah, it was awesome. So, uh, you know, this is week seven, and this is actually the final week of our authority series. I got to bring the umbrella out. And uh, so, uh, Pastor, I'll be honest, I just, it's a privilege and honor to, to step in for him today and to share with you uh, God's word. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is our authority and kind of put a bow on this series. I really, really enjoyed this series. That's one of my favorites. They're all my favorite, right? Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, uh, Pastor's done an amazing job with this particular particular series, and I'm very, very, very thankful. But the premise, you know, is very simple. Uh, we have authorities in our life. We have uh, the authority of the Word of God. Uh, we have Jesus, of course. We'll talk about that in a moment. We have our family, our, our, our husbands and wives, the role in the home. We have our civic authorities and things like this. And so, as long as you stay underneath the umbrella, you are safe. You are free. You have, you have uh, an ability to uh, navigate successfully. Uh, you, the, the, the storms and the obstacles are deflected because you have submitted yourself, you have humbled yourself, if you will, uh, to be under authority. And when we do that, I can just tell you, you probably can testify the same. Things just go better, don't they? It goes a lot better uh, when we submit ourselves, especially to uh, the Lord. So we're gonna get into this here this morning. And, uh, and share with you the authority of Jesus Christ. So uh, I want to start out by sharing with you a story I heard. I read about a Texas uh, rancher, old rancher. And there is a gentleman from the Texas Water Allocation Department, which is a pretty big deal, evidently. He did a surprise visit on the old rancher. And he said, here, I'm, I'm here to check your water allocation all over your ranch. And the rancher was taken back because he was surprised at that. And, 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 and he said, okay, that's fine, no problem, just don't go in that field over there. And, and the, the director of water allocation was a little offended by that for whatever reason. He, was, uh, he didn't like the way the rancher said. So he started fumbling around and he pulled out his, his card. And he said, you see this card? Look at this card, you see this card? This card tells me that I have the authority to go wherever I want on this here ranch. You see, look at this card. I can go wherever I want on your ranch. You can't tell me where I can and cannot go. And the old ranchers are, okay, that's fine. I mean, yeah, go ahead. So he did. 10 minutes later, I mean, the old rancher went back to his chores and suddenly there was this blood curdling scream from this director of water allocation for the state of Texas. 
He came, and, and, the, and the rancher dropped his tools. He looked over. He saw this guy running for his life. So he went over and he assessed the situation and, and, and he pulled out his, his card also. He said, hey, uh, right behind this Texas guy that was running for his life, there was a 1,500-pound Texas steer, and, which is why that he had told him, maybe you not want to stay away from that field over there. He said, hey, 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 show him your card. Show him your card. <clears throat> we know that a lot of times... The authority of, you know, human authority is, is, is flawed. And we mess that up at times. And that was a good example of how we mess it up. In the Bible, there's an interesting story that I want to share with you. And it has to do with uh, authority. And it's an interesting conversation. Uh, it, it takes place in Luke chapter 19 and 20. It's near the end of the gospel. Jesus is teaching in the synagogue as he always did. But there's something that upsets him. In the context of Luke 19, the situation was simply this. It was Passover. People were coming, and, and in order to uh, serve the Lord, and, and, and they, they needed to sacrifice to the Lord a lamb, as you know, the process of sacrificial lamb, and they would bring these lambs, and they had to be acceptable lambs, you know, according to a certain recipe. And so uh, they were bringing good lambs, but there were some religious people in the temple that were usurping their authority. And they were rejecting the sacrifices that were brought in, in, in lieu of gaining some money or making some money in the process. And it became a real corrupt religious system. And not only corrupt in terms of money, but corrupt in terms of, of just space. And, and, and it was a quagmire in the temple where those who wanted to seek after God or maybe search faith out, they couldn't even get navigate because there was so much of this going on. And Jesus, uh, you probably know the story, decided to, uh, help them understand about the house of the Lord. And he started overturning the money changers, you know, the tables and all that. And then he said, you know, my, my father's house is a house of prayer. And he tried to help them understand this. Well, the religious authorities, the high priest, the chief priest, the elders upset, didn't appreciate that. And when chapter 20 of Luke uh, comes about, verse 1 and 2, they come with this uh, interesting question that's going to lay the foundation for where we want to go this morning. And I want to read it to you. Luke chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law and the elders came to him and they demanded. Now watch this. By what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you this right? And so sounds like they wanted to see his card, you know. Sounds like they were very, very upset. And they're like, what in the world, what gives you the right to come into here and tell us what we can and what we cannot do? Who are you anyway? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Who are you, Jesus? That's the question I want to start with. And I want you to know this. Of all the questions that might be presented to modern man and woman, none is more important than this. Who do you think Jesus is? And we're going to go through scripture today. I'm going to submit to you what the Bible says about Jesus. At the end of this uh, talk, I'm going to challenge you to answer that question for yourself. Because all of us at one point, we have to decide who is Jesus Christ and what authority does he have over my life? The reason this is so important is that we'll be, there will become a day when we must deal with Jesus. And at some point, every one of us has to answer that question. And we can't ignore it and we can't delay it and we can't postpone it. There will come a time when we must answer it. 
So, once when Jesus was hanging out with his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and they were apart, they were alone, they finally got some alone time, and they were just talking back and forth, and Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who, who do men say that I am? And they started this discussion about, you know, who, who the, uh, what the word is on the streets. And so the disciples, you know, hey, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And they just let that sit for a while, and then he came back with this question, well, what about you? Who do you say? that I am. And that's again the point I'm trying to make this morning is that we understand there's a lot of opinions about Jesus. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He's a mythical fabrication of the first century. I mean, all these different ideas and understandings about who Jesus is. The question though is, well, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus Christ? And what authority does he have in my life? And how does what you're thinking and how does your answer stack up with what the Bible says? This is an important second question because it's not enough to say, well, I believe in Jesus. Millions of people believe in Jesus and they claim to know the Lord and don't have a clue about what the scripture says. So the good news is that we don't have to wonder. The good news is the scripture is very clear as to who Jesus is. For 2,000 years, Christians have affirmed their faith in, in Jesus Christ with what the Bible says. Christian leaders even summarize it, and, and they've created these creeds. You might have heard of the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and, and these creeds summarize the great doctrines of the faith. And we're going to talk about uh, something, uh, a phrase inside the Apostles' Creed here for just a moment. Some of you grew up, I grew up in a church where they used to recite back and forth, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed, and there was one line in there that goes like this, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. How many of you are familiar with that from the Apostles' Creed? Many of you, yes. So I'm going to break that down this morning. That's really, honestly, our outline, and you can check your app for uh, the notes of the day. There's a few extra notes that I like to put in the app that are, won't be on your screen, so you can check that out, fill those in. The Christian faith, friends, is all about Jesus. The Christian faith is all about Jesus. He is the heart and core of everything that we believe. And so uh, this statement in the Apostles' Creed is a summary of what the Bible says about Jesus. Now, we can be mistaken about some secondary issues when it come to, comes to our Christian faith and when it comes to being a Christian. But if you're wrong about uh, Jesus, you're going to be wrong in the worst possible place. Our faith in Jesus must be more than just the emotional experience of having Jesus in our heart. Our faith must rest on the revealed truth about Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And so let me break this down. The first is this, I believe in Jesus. The second is, I believe he is the Christ. The third is, I believe that he is truly God's only Son. And then the last one is, I believe he is the Lord. And we're going to examine both of those, or um, all four of those. J.I. Packer, great theologian of the past, he said that when the creed calls God the maker of heaven and earth, it parts company with Hinduism and by extension with all Eastern religions. And then he says, when it declares that Jesus is the Christ, God's only son and our Lord, it parts company with Islam and Judaism. So this claim of for Jesus makes Christianity utterly unique. 
So let's begin. The first one in your notes, Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior, and it's more than a title. It's more than a title. All we need to know about Jesus is summed up in his name. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves. And the name Jesus is actually a transliteration of the Hebrew, Joshua, which also means Jehovah saves. Now, just know this, some background. Back in those days, names were very, very, very important. They were an important part of the early culture. And so the name of a child was very important as the birth of a child for the name was to be more than a mere identifier of the child. It was a reflection of his or her character. And it's the same with Jesus. The prophet Isaiah predicted this well before Jesus' birth, that God would send a Savior. We're reminded about this every Christmas season. Listen, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Look what the scripture says. For a child is born to us, a son is given. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then a little later on, when we get to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, an angel appears to Joseph, and look what he says in verse 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, you are to name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Interesting that everything that you and I need to know about Jesus, we find in his name. It's in the name, uh, summed up in his name, Jesus is Savior. And so to proclaim Jesus is Savior suggests that someone needs saving, right? When we say that Jesus is Savior, it, it, it's our, knowledge, it, it's our, our acknowledgement that we need Savior, which, which, which brings up this whole issue of sin. And we're just so sure, you know, we're not sure we want to talk about sin. Sin is negative, you know. We come to church, we want to pick me up. We don't want to be a downer, you know, and, and leave saying, he called me a sinner, and, and that makes me feel bad, right? And I would suggest to you this, if that's all we did, you would be right. But the scripture helps us to understand, hey, there is sin, but guess what? There's a savior. His name is Jesus, and he can take away your sins. There is forgiveness in his name. So Jesus is sa as Savior means that there is good news. Who are you? What authority do you have to come in here and tell us how and what? He's the Savior, number one. Number two, let's keep going. He is the Christ. Now, the one thing that we need to, you know, kind of get rid of right at the <laughs> outset is that Christ is not his last name. Um, you know that, right? <laughs> I don't want to assume anything, you know, that's not a, that's a mistake for a speaker. So Christ is not Jesus's last name. He didn't grow up, for example, in the Christ family. And so Christ is not his family name. Christ is a title. And to be, be precise, we should call him Jesus the Christ. And so uh, when you see Pastor Somerville, you know that his first name isn't Pastor you know, that's the title that he holds, uh, describing his role as a leader in God's church, right? And so that's a title. The term Christ describes one of Jesus' divinely appointed titles. When you see me, exact same thing. You know, you don't say, well, that's Dr. Wolfcow. I mean, doctor's not my middle name. Doctor is my, you know, um, <clears throat> well, it's not my title, you know, but it sounds good. Well, that's the whole point, though. 
Jesus Christ is not the Christ family. He is the Christ. Now let's talk about what that means. The word Christ comes from the Greek word that itself comes from a Hebrew word that means anointed one. Uh, we often translate it as Messiah. In the Old Testament, the prophets and the priests and the kings were anointed before they would formally be introduced into the service of God. And so the anointing they would receive was a sign that God had called them to their position. And so for us, for you and me to call Jesus the Christ means that he is the one whom God has promised to send to deliver Israel and bring salvation to the world. Listen carefully, all of history, friends, is connected from Genesis to Revelation, spanning thousands of years, hundreds of generations, and those who believe the Bible have long argued that it contains 66 books written by 40 plus authors over a period of 1,500 years, but it has one message, and that's it. One message, God's plan to bring salvation to the world through Jesus Christ. The, the, in one way or another, everything in the Bible fits around that great theme. Think about it. In the Old Testament, what's the message really of the Old Testament? The message of the Old Testament, he's coming. He's coming. The message of the Gospels, he's here. The message of the book of Acts, he has come. The message of the epistles, uh, he is Lord. The message of the final book in the scripture, the revelation, is he is coming again. And so, just to wrap this up in terms of that Christ, to say that Jesus is Christ means that he is the one sent from God to bring God to us and bring us to God. Who are you? We want to know where this authority comes from. Well, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the Christ. Here's number three, the third statement. Jesus is God's only son. Now the phrase here speaks to his relationship with God the Father. And, and the little word only uh, in John chapter 3 verse 16 tells us something crucial about our Lord. I grew up uh, in, in a very gospel-oriented environment and the, the, the great verse that became my all-time, right, is John 3 verse 16, especially the King James version that I was raised on way back tells you how old I am. The scripture is clear. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. This is good. He's a good God. This is a good plan. This is a good opportunity, a good promise. But I always struggled as a child. What in the world? Only begotten son. I'll, just, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to take your word for it. Whatever that means, that only begotten thing sounds a little weird and creepy to me. But salvation, eternal life, it's all good. Let me just share with you what that means. This term only begotten comes from the Greek word monogenes. The word mono, you might guess this one, means one or only. The genus part is related to the English words gene or genetics or gender. So when you put both parts together, only begotten means one and only. One and only or absolutely unique. Or, 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 or this one, one of a kind and there can never be another of the same kind. And that stresses the unique nature of Jesus Christ. This is very important. Listen very, very closely. 
Jesus, as the one and only son of his father, shares the same nature as his father. And that is why Jesus could say, I and my father are one. I and my father are one. John chapter 10, verse 30. His Jewish hearers, those listening to Jesus, listen, they understood exactly what he was saying. They knew that Jesus was making a claim to be equal with God. There was no confusion whatsoever. And so, to call Jesus God's only son means that he shares the same essential nature as the Father. And from this truth comes the doctrine of the Trinity, God eternally existing in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One church father uh, related this way. I think it was, it was helpful. He says, as the spring is not the stream, and the stream is not the spring, yet the same water flows through both. Even so, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, but they share the same divine nature. The Nicene Creed uh, says it very uh, succinctly. It calls Jesus Christ very God of very God. I mean, I'm, it seems in my heart and mind, at least I'm technical here this morning, but I, I think this is helpful to us. So here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is not similar to God. Uh, to, call, to call him God's only son means that he is God, the son. And, and, and thus, because of this, he is worthy of the same adoration, the same worship, the same praise, the same reverence that we give God the Father. You know, there's many people today, including some theologians and what I would term as liberal Christians, they fight against that truth. And that they want, for example, a Christ who is somehow divine but not truly God. And, and, and they want a Jesus who is a good role model. But they don't want him as their God. A good man, sure, absolutely, yes. The Son of God from heaven, oh, no, 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 no. No, that's not exactly what we're, we're thinking. Friends, yeah, that, that's okay. But not, you know, Son of God. Well, here's the situation. We can't believe otherwise if we take the scripture literally or, or seriously. Let me read to you something that, that is, uh, caught my attention, is very powerful. It's from C.S. Lewis. It's a very, very long quote. It's in your uh, sermon notes on your app if you want to look, check this out. Here's what C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. Listen to what he says. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him or kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God's only son. And the final little uh, title given to Jesus relates to you and me. Now, now we know where his authority has come from. Who is it that gives you this authority? What gives you this right? Where's your, card? Where's your authority card, right? 
Now, we know he's Savior, he's Christ, he's the Son of God. But I told you at some point in this lesson, in some point in your life, you're going to have to answer this question for yourself. I'm going to help you answer uh, this question for yourself now from what the Scripture teaches. This last title, he is our Lord. The Greek word is kyrios. The word occurs many times in the New Testament. It was also common in the Roman Empire. The basic meaning is this. Absolute ruler. Who is Jesus? And what authority does he have in my life? I submit to you, friends. He is Lord. Absolute ruler for all who claim to know him as Savior. To call Jesus Lord means that he is the sovereign one over the entire universe and has the right of sovereign rule over our lives. Now, let me show you this from Romans chapter 12 or chapter 10. Romans 10, verse 9, you know this verse. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a very simple phrase, very simple three little words. Jesus is Lord. So to confess with a mouth means more than simply saying the words. It means to agree from the heart that you believe what you are saying. And in order to understand this properly, we need a bit of background as to how the Romans worked in their vast empire. Because the empire, the Roman Empire, stretched from Europe to the Middle East, down even to the northern part of uh, uh, the coast of Africa, it encompassed many provinces, and all these provinces had all kinds of religions. All kinds of deities, and so the scholars would speak of the mysterious religions that were found in many of these places... Well, here's the situation. Rome, the Roman Empire, did not care about what God that you served. And they would give honor and, and, and they would sacrifice to all kinds of And they'd say a lot of things about their individual gods. But those who followed Christ, those who followed Jesus, the Christ, God's only son, those who were disciples of Jesus consistently refused to say what Roman, uh, or the Roman Empire wanted them to say or demanded of them that they would say that Caesar is Lord. In other words, they would let you do whatever you want. They didn't care uh, anything what you all did as long as you said Caesar is Lord. The problem came up when these Christ followers said there's not, that, that's not something we will do. That's a boundary we will not cross. We will not say or anything uh, of that nature that Caesar is Lord because the truth is Jesus is Lord and that's the great dividing line of the Christian faith that they would not cross. Chuck Colson once said that in the first century, if you stood in a public gathering and cried out, Jesus is God, no one would be upset. But if you said Jesus is Lord... That would be very, very upset. That would start a riot, he said. And so, let us be crystal clear. Rome did not persecute Christians because they believed in the deity of Jesus. They didn't persecute Jesus uh, because he was the promised Messiah or he was the one who died and, and on the cross and rose from the dead. Rome did not kill Christians because they said Jesus is the only way of salvation. Those were religious beliefs. Those were not threats to the state. But when Christians declared Jesus Christ is our Lord and there is no other, 
Well, that was a direct attack on Caesar worship, and it was punishable by death. And that's why, friends, that the lordship of Christ matters so much. To call him Lord means that we surrender all that we have for him. And we follow him gladly wherever he leads, whatever it costs. Augustine said it this way, Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. So, clearly, from the scripture we know, Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the Christ, the one anointed by God, sent by God to save Israel and the sins of all mankind. He's the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, God's only Son, one and only. Jesus is our Kyrios, absolute ruler. He's Lord. It's biblical, it's historic, and it's true. And this reflects what the Bible teaches, that reflects what the church has always said down through history, and it is what is in fact true about Jesus Christ. Not always popular, right? But true, very true. Not always politically correct, but very true. Jesus is Lord. And you say, well, to think that, to say that is quite a divide. I mean, it's, you're dividing people, and we, I, I would suggest that it's okay. It's okay to be divided by the truth as opposed to being united by air, right? Jesus is Lord. When I say I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, we declare that he is sovereign over our lives. Now listen carefully. There's a verse of scripture that I want to share with you. It's kind of the closer. If you're all familiar with baseball, we call in the closer at the end of the game to put a stamp, put an exclamation on it, to shut it down, to seal the victory. And there's a verse in the scripture uh, that I want to share with you that just seals this uh, victory for us. All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, 10, and 11. That's our closure this morning. Here's what Paul says. Therefore, he's speaking of Jesus. God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. You see, God, our Father, has given Jesus, his only Son, that name that is above all names. God has ordained that one day, one day that his Son will be universally recognized as Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. And many people didn't recognize him when he walked on the earth. People today still don't know who he is, but there's a day coming, friend, when that will change forever. And when that day finally arrives, the scripture says, Paul says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All creation will physically bow before the Son of God and acknowledge his lordship. All creatures, the scripture says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that would include the, include the angels and saints in heaven, all those living on the earth, the dead and the demons and Satan himself. No one will be left out. All will be included. This universal declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so bowing the knee means submission to him as Lord. Confessing with the tongue means there is no other Lord but Jesus. He will be vindicated before the entire universe. Every one of his enemies will bow before him. 
And at the end, in the end, no opposition against him will stand. And it's not a universal salvation, friends. It's a universal confession. Not all will be saved, but all will confess that Jesus is Lord. And if we are going to, to someday bow down and worship him and proclaim him Lord, I, I, I don't want to wait. I would suggest and say to you that I want to bow my knee right now, you know, and worship him. So here's your two choices. Applications. I mean, what does the authority of Jesus have to do with my life? Number one, you can confess him now with joy as your Lord and Savior and rejoice and give honor and praise to this God who loved us to the point of death, sending his only, one and only son to give his life as a sacrifice for our sin, that we may come back into a relationship of unity and love and completeness with, our God, with God our Father. Confess him now with joy as your Lord and Savior, knowing that we always will have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, that we always, by his own admission, by his own word, say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. By the King David, the Psalmist David said, he is my refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. He's my sword, he's my shield. This is our Lord Jesus. Confess him now with joy as your Savior, as your Lord, or confess him later in shame with terror. And once you listen closely, you are made by Jesus Christ, you owe your life to him. One day you'll stand before him as your, as your judge and sooner or later every knee will bow before him and confess that he is Lord and, 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 and you can bow before him today as we mentioned and have that confidence and joy and peace or you can face him one day as your judge. But you cannot escape him. So the choice is yours. Will you bow in love and adoration or will you bow in horrible terror moments before you're cast into an eternal hell? Here's the invitation. Jesus himself, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come, 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 come to me. All of you who are weary and you carry heavy burdens, you're pressed down by the stresses of life, it's heavy. Come. I'll give you rest, he says. I will give you rest. That's because he's your savior. He's your Christ. He's your only son of God. He's your Lord. He loves you. And he invites you to come to him. He, get, he, he gave himself for you. And friends, so week seven, we wrap it up. That is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus we call Savior and Lord. This is the true Christ of the Christian faith. There is no one like him. He alone is God incarnate. And his words have divine authority because they are the words of Almighty God. And one day, as mentioned, the entire universe will bow down and worship him. We have no other Savior. We follow no other Lord. Jesus said these words, Matthew 24, verse 35. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. One of my favorite statements of Jesus, I mean, it's just fascinating to me in the gospels, you know, listening to people, what people would say about uh, Jesus. There's one time in the first chapter of Mark when Jesus and his disciples were in the synagogue and they were teaching, you know, and doing ministry. And Mark says in verse 22 that Jesus was teaching and the people were amazed at his teaching. And here's the quote, he taught with real authority. Jesus did. That is to say, he has clout 
And what they said was that he doesn't teach like the scribes that we're used to listening to. He's, something is different here. He's got clout. He has influence. He has weight. He has like say-so, authority. We like listening to him. He had authority, and I've always been fascinated, you know, in many other statements. And just to say this again, Jesus, friends, is our final authority. Would you bow your heads with me, please? And let's pray. Jesus is the final authority. Dear sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, we trust in you. We bow in your presence. We honor you as Lord, Savior, Christ, Son of God. We love you, dear God. We desire you. We need you. And we pray, Father, that when the when life, Lord, turns into a roller coaster as it has this year, with a lot of ups and downs and all arounds, and we're not exactly sure we're a little rocked. God, I'm asking that each one of us, as we keep our eyes on you, that you would steady our hearts, steady our minds, steady our emotions, that we would have confidence that you are in control of those who are in control. You are in control of all circumstances, situations, all that matters. And we acknowledge you in that way here today. Listen, friends, if you're here this morning and I don't know who is here, you know, you never know, right? Or listening, you know, our online church family, we're so excited and glad and pleased that you've joined us. If you're listening or if you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, I have not yet come to that place in my life where I've just said yes to Jesus, where I've turned my life, you know, and, 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 and trust and put my faith in Jesus as Savior. This is an opportunity. We want to give you an opportunity. We do every time we are together. If you say, well, I need Jesus as my Savior. You know, God is speaking to me and showing me who he is and his claim over my life. If that's the case, I want to challenge you just to reach out to him today and says, Lord Jesus, I come to you by faith. I humble myself and I ask forgiveness for my sin. Be my savior, be my God, be my Lord. Do that right now, whether you're online, whether you're here in this audience, if you've never yet accepted Christ or trusted and put your faith in Christ, and yet his love today is capturing you. The greatest decision, the most important decision that you can make is this decision to reach out for Jesus. And I hope you'll do that at this moment. Now, if you're present here, would you just look this way for a moment? I want to just say one more thought about the authority of Jesus. Just fascinates me, and I'll be honest with you, we could go, I mean, we can extend this series if you want. Matthew 28. It's interesting what Jesus connected with authority. In Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, 20, Jesus has resurrected, and he is talking to his disciples, and here's what he said. It just blows my mind. Listen. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Friends, that is what we call a power statement right there. Jesus the Christ, having, had, having given his life, having conquered death, stands in resurrected form and said, yeah, he gave me a little bit of authority. It's not what he said. 
I mean, be able to pull a string or two from now, you know, from time to time. That's not what he said. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. The thing that blows my mind, though, is what he said next. And I'm talking to those of you who have said yes to Christ. You know Jesus, and you're walking by faith and trying to figure it out, you know, and you love the word of God. And, and, and Jesus said, all authority can, and he says, go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel to all. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Listen, teach them the things I have taught you. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. And by the way, this guy, this Savior, this Christ, this Messiah, this Son of God that said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, he also said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now that, friends, is exciting to me. I mean, can you capture that understanding that the authority of Jesus propels us into action to share this love that we have received and experienced and this joy and this peace that passes all understanding that it's privilege and it's, it's, it's an honor and it's command, right? I have all authority and Christ living in me, the hope of glory, sharing the love of Jesus with as many people as he allows us. So if you're here today and you're wondering, how is it that I can get excited about my faith? I mean, how can you not get excited about your faith and sharing the love of Jesus when you understand who he is from the scripture? So my challenge to you, again, humble and submit, Jesus, you are Lord. Strengthen my heart and mind and resolve to go to my family, to go to my friends, to go to those who, you know, you wrote on the plastic balls here uh, and, and, and we're anticipating that may come underneath the hearing of the gospel, uh, if not before then, but ne maybe next Lord's Day, right? Next week, we start a new series and they can respond in faith too and receive Christ and be with, you know, the Lord forever and eternity. All authority has been given on me in heaven and earth. Now go. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would strengthen us to go. Lord, we love you again. We just want to thank you, dear God, that we have a hope, that we have a sure foundation, a solid rock that we look to and go to for instruction. Show us your ways, dear Father. Lead us in your path. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. May the love of Jesus just pour out of our lives to others in acts of kindness, in loving words, in encouragement, in challenge and exhortation with the scripture. Bless your name and your church, I do pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Hello, Pastor Jim here. I just wanted to come on and thank you for listening and help answer the question, what next? If you gave your life to Jesus today, we would love to take that journey with you. Simply text the word SAVED to 615-900-2176 and make sure to follow us through the week on our social media accounts at Freedom Church TN. We love you. Have a blessed week.